The Rod and Staff podcast comes out of the host's passion for Christ and his church. It exists to encourage a deeper engagement with issues that pertain to doctrine and life. Check us out at rodandstaff.org. Welcome to the Rod and Staff podcast. I am your host, Roger, along with my co-host, Jason, and we are back for another exciting episode. And we're excited for this episode because we actually have a guest on with us to help us, like an expert on uh, our show today. Um, so we got somebody, uh, something new for you. We haven't had a guest on for a while, so we're pretty excited about that. Uh, we have brought on Pat Abendroth, who is Senior Pastor of Omaha Bible Church in Omaha. Omaha, Nebraska, uh, where he's the lead pastor there. And he uh, recently wrote a book on covenant theology that both Jason and I have and read and thought that he could help us as we've been talking about that in previous episodes. Uh, thought to bring somebody on to help us continue that and continue to serve uh, our listeners. So as we always do, we like to start off with a lighthearted uh, question and get to know each other a little bit. So let's get to know our guest a little bit, Pat. Welcome on to our show. Uh, Jason and Roger, it's an honor to be on. Thank you so much. I don't know what I'm an expert in, though. Maybe I'm an expert at, I don't know, I'm kind of full right now. My wife made some Indian curry soup. I'm an <laughs> expert at overeating, maybe. Um, I'm an expert in trying to get better at self-control. Uh, <laughs> but... <laughs> Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for thanks for joining. Good to have so you. here here's our question. What what do you like to do for fun, Pat? In well, Omaha. I think he needs to add that. Oh, in Omaha. Okay. Okay. So it, it reminds me when you said that, Jason, in Omaha, mm -hmm. I, uh, my nieces and nephews, probably my my brother Mike's kids, when they would do fortune cookies, they would read the fortune cookie and then have to say afterward, in the bathroom. So <laughs> today, today you will, you know. <laughs> Gain in wisdom and knowledge in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> so, I think it's kind of a funny way to do it. So that aside, what do I like to do for fun in Omaha? Well, most of my free time comes probably from cycling. I'm into bicycles. So hmm. it's mountain bikes, no Omaha, no, no mountains in Omaha, but we still <laughs> ride mountain bikes. Nice. Uh, Road bikes, gravel bikes, fat bikes. Um, mm. If I don't need the exercise, I have a motorbike. I have a Royal Enfield that I like to ride around. So uh, I get a lot done on the bike. A lot of thinking, a lot of, I wish I could say praying, but I'm not that mm. spiritual on the bike. A lot, a lot of listening to podcasts, a lot of good ideas. Uh, so that's kind of what I love to do. I, I thought I heard, I actually come to think of it on another podcast, you were talking about listening to, do you, did you do audiobooks on the bike or was that so, you? Yeah, so I I like audiobooks, but early on, maybe before I had audiobooks or didn't know about them, yeah. I was doing my 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 doctorate ministry and I thought I have to read three thousand pages of reading or whatever, you know, you guys have degrees <laughs> before each class. Yeah. And so just sitting there getting fatter and fatter. So <laughs> I started riding an old mountain bike and listening to the, you know, the bad Kindle voice. Uh, you know, uh, automated, I could only hack about an hour, but before you knew it, I lost like 50 pounds. And oh, I man. thought, I kind of like this biking thing, you know, and maybe my wife likes it too. I look a little better. <laughs> so wow. Uh, anyway, it, it turned out to be a good thing, I think overall. So uh, nice. that's kind of what I'm into. I have a couple of sons who race mountain bikes. Um, so that helps. Everybody's kind of into it. 
So nice. that's what we do. It's getting ready to get cold here though, in Omaha, Nebraska, where I live. So going to hunker down. I get to California in your neck of the woods a couple times a year, usually, usually. And I always pack the bike. Um, you know, people always ask me in airports, what is that? You know, this black box, it's strange with wheels. And I always try to make up a different lie. <laughs> you know, thank it's, you it's, pastor right yeah it's, it's, it's humor it's it's deception in yes. a good way you know so I, i'll say it's military equipment i can't disclose it uh, or something like that and they just look at you and it's kind of fun just to to be silly sometimes that's great. nice very cool well, let's get on to a, a serious topic then good transition okay. to our <laughs> Our topic. So we want to talk uh, to you about covenant theology in this episode. And, you know, you've, you've written a book on covenant theology. You've thought about this topic for a long time. And we're thinking about it as a church mm -hmm. going through it and just thinking about how important it is to understand covenant theology to help us understand the Bible. So I think just to level set and, and begin with, mm -hmm. with what is covenant theology? So I think I'm at the place, Roger, where I like to say covenant theology is a divinely inspired way of understanding human history and understanding mm -hmm. biblical history, which sounds like a big claim. But in light of Romans 5, I do think it is a divinely inspired way of understanding the whole thing, right? Because mm -hmm. you've got the two Adams and Paul was writing under inspiration. So we know he, know, he knew what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. So when he says, therefore, this is Romans 5, 18, therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. For as by one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Well, that, that, that that's at least a good place to start, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. All of human history through yeah. the two representatives and in theology, we say that's federal headship, which, mm -hmm. you know, comes from a Latin word that's covenant, covenant headship. Mm -hmm. So I want to at least start there. And if we know that, wow, covenant theology is pretty important because everything should be interpreted through one of those two lenses mm -hmm. uh, that's ever happened in human history. Now we can get into the, the details beyond that, obviously, but um, I think that's kind of the Trump card to start with. Oh, sorry, we're not supposed to say Trump anymore, but you get the idea. <laughs> It's uh, not the Biden card either. Okay, so <laughs> so that that's a it's a really helpful way of pointing people to the the kind of some key passages too, or the key passage perhaps. Mm -hmm. um, when when we say it's the history of the two atoms, can you walk us through just a little bit more so that we can grasp the covenant language specifically that's often used? Sure, sure. Um, and you know, in going into that, we. Typically in covenant theology, you have, it's, it's bi-covenantal classically, traditionally. So you have the covenant of works, uh, you have the covenant of grace. Now, later we could talk about the covenant of redemption as well, but generally speaking, it's, it's bi-covenantal. And so if we have um, the first Adam needing to obey to gain justification from Romans 5, uh, and obviously he doesn't, and it leads to condemnation, which would be the opposite of justification, both our forensic courtroom terminology um, but so, so we have the failure and then we have Jesus who's called the last Adam in first Corinthians 15, mm -hmm. doing the right thing perfectly obeying as the confessions would say things like personally, perpetually, perfectly, he obeys and it leads to justification being declared perfect, declared righteous, legal, forensic, um, 
And so I, I think it helps when we see that. I even know pastors who say, I believe in federal headship, but I don't believe in covenant theology. And I just laugh or I smile <laughs> and think, well, that's sort of like saying, I, I like oranges, but I don't like oranges. Um, because federal headship is covenant headship. Mm -hmm. um, it's representation, one act of obedience. So yeah. I don't think I answered your question that uh, precisely, Jason. That's okay. <laughs> um, so they, they, they're, they're, they're not, they're not neither, neither of the first two Adam or the first Adam or the last, they weren't, um, they weren't independent persons and in theology. Mm -hmm. We'd say they were, they were public persons uh, and that's covenant kind mm -hmm. of language because they, their actions affected others. Yeah. Uh, again, representation, uh, public um, God holding each one of them accountable for the people they represented. Yeah. Were you thinking of something else, Jason, that I was No, no, that's, that's really helpful. That's excellent. And I guess one of the things that uh, our listeners may be thinking then is, okay, so how is that different than other ways of looking at scripture, right? Okay. So some may be coming from a more of a dispensationalist background mm -hmm. might go, okay, what we believe in that there were two atoms too, you know? So yes, how does yes. this, how does this distinguish those camps? Let's say. Perfect. And one thing I pro that might help, especially if you, for listeners who are coming from a dispensational background or yeah, for those folks, I, I think I essentially wrote the book covenant theology as a dispensationalist um, mm -hmm. because that's my target audience. They are a good audience in so many ways. And so I thought, okay, I want to write this to people who've been like me, who are like me, mm. who think every word of the Bible is true. Um, from Genesis to Revelation, and we should take the Bible seriously, generally at face value, apart from you know metaphors and figures of speech. Uh, but somehow, in dispensationalism, we're told that covenant theology is, you know, the boogeyman, and it's the opposite. And I guess for now, I want to say I don't think it actually is the opposite because dispensationalism, first and foremost, is about a commitment to the future for national Israel geopolitical mm -hmm. national Israel. When we're talking about covenant theology, we're talking about matters primarily with soteriology, doctrine of salvation. Mm -hmm. And so I, that's why I think you can affirm classic traditional, I'm going to call it covenant theology, covenant of works, covenant of grace, covenant of redemption. We can talk about those. Mm -hmm. You can affirm all of those things and you can have different views on whether or not there's a future for national mm -hmm. geopolitical Israel. So I like to say to my dispensational friends, uh, come on in. The water's warm. Um, <laughs> and so it's 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 really possible. You can sort out your millennial views um, mm -hmm. or things regarding Israel. And that's that's different matter altogether. Now, I, maybe not altogether, but you, you know what I'm getting at. Sure. Um, you absolutely could be pre-trib, pre-mill, <laughs> all of the things <laughs> and still affirm what we're talking about here, covenant of works, covenant of grace, covenant of redemption. Um, I'm not dispensational any longer, but that's actually for other reasons, not because of the reasons we're talking about. And uh, I think it, I think it's really helpful to help dispensationalists understand this. I think I get phone calls, texts, or emails almost every week saying that makes a lot of sense, but it wasn't what I was told uh, mm -hmm. by my professors. You guys ever seen that movie, The Village by M. Night Shyamalan? No, we don't watch movies like that. I was going to say, right do you guys now. talk about movies? No, no, <laughs> just not that one. That's all. <laughs> okay. So it's not the greatest movie in the whole world, but 
Um, you know, he's got some good ones and some bad ones. Everyone knows six, it's hard to say sixth sense, mm. which I think is, is a pretty, pretty amazing movie, but the village, and I don't want to do the spoiler alert, but I'm going to do it right now. So listeners, you should, you know, fast forward or something, but, <laughs> but, you know, they've made up this, this fake community where they want to preserve their children and the next generation from harmful things like progress. Mm. So they, they're in this village and they create like a werewolf figure and you can't go beyond the trees or whatever because you're going to get eaten. Well, what's interesting is when something really tragic happens, then they have to send someone secretly to the other side to get medical help or something. And uh, I kind of think of classic covenant theology that way, Jason, because when the church is in crisis over justification and is it sola fide or not, hmm. where does the church go? Where do sane evangelicals go? They send someone across to the other side <laughs> to the boogeyman, the monster, which is actually classic traditional covenant theology, because mm. they're the ones that get this right. They're the yeah. ones that don't do mixing law and gospel. They're the ones that get justification right. And actually, the, the, the key to it all is classic covenant theology. Which is great. Pat, can you can you just briefly help us to understand exactly why? Covenant theology helps us understand justification so well. Yep, absolutely. Um, now you're getting me excited. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I need to take a deep breath. I need to take a deep breath. I, I, when, when, when someone asks me, similar to what you just said, how can I help my church think through covenant theology? I, mm -hmm. I say, just start with justification. Is mm -hmm. it just? Mm -hmm. Is it by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone, or not? And you can get everybody to buy in because it's patently biblical. And mm -hmm. then you introduce them to the accusation of Rome. Rome says, oh, that's legal fiction. Mm -hmm. So uh, we were declared righteous, which is to be declared obedient to God's law. That's what it, mm -hmm. righteous means. We're declared righteous in justification based upon nothing. That's legal fiction. And we say, mm -hmm. oh, thank you for the accusation. You're actually a good um, debate partner, but there's <laughs> something that upholds the tabletop. If sola fide is the tabletop, mm. there's something that there's a, there's something that goes under it and that's called imputation. So mm. the crediting of Christ's righteousness upholds sola fide, uh, mm. and, but, but it's real righteousness. It, it's because Christ's righteousness is real. Mm. And what does righteousness mean? There's something even below that because it's not the divine attribute as heretics have taught. Um, that would make us God. Their their legs, their feet at the bottom. So there's the tabletop. There's the 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 base, if you will, or the the next the pole that goes underneath it. That's mm -hmm. imputation. And then there's legs at the very bottom. That would be obedience to the law. Christ's obedience to the law, Amen. because I've looked it up in you know nine plus dictionaries. Dikaios, <laughs> dikaiosune, all that is is adherence to law, obedience to law. So Jesus obedience to the law. Then it's credited to us by faith. And then therefore, based upon that, God declares us righteous. Hmm. It's for good reason that people who don't like covenant theology are, 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 they don't want to talk about the covenant of works because the covenant of works is Christ's obedience to the law. Um, that, yeah. you know, they, they want to say things, say they want to deny his act of obedience or something like that, because they know yeah. this leads to covenant theology. Yeah. So. I guess I, I'm thankful for my brothers and sisters in Christ who who have a floating tabletop, <laughs> sola fide, because at least they have that. And I, mm -hmm. I mean that yeah. because you you really have to have that. But they actually fall prey to Rome's accusation because it's a floating tabletop yeah. or they make it a divine attribute, which is a heresy. So 
if you go down the rabbit hole, start with sola fide. And if you go down that rabbit hole before you know it, you're going to start, you know, not you're in, in your sleep, you know, you're going to start saying covenative <laughs> works, covenative works, covenative works. Yeah. <laughs> I hope that helps. That's, that's very good. Thank you. That's really helpful. Yep. Yep. I think, I think when I was uh, reading your, I actually read your dissertation uh, before the book okay. came out. So a few years Thank ago, you. I, I, heard I about owe you, you. A, I owe you a free, free copy, Roger. <laughs> Thank you for doing that. <clears throat> but I read it on an airplane. I was going to a conference um, and, and I remember reading it and I remember all of the connections starting to come together. Mm. Like the Bible finally started to make sense as a whole, like a storyline, a narrative, understanding how it all came together and that framework was so helpful to me. And and it just made so much more sense than this complexity of how all of these individual passages work and we put them together and try to figure out, you know, the uh, uh our, our views of 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 everything, it, it seemed. It didn't seem like you could just understand the Bible as a whole and point to a central focus. It seemed like you were just lost in the weeds and instead of seeing the big picture. So you're you're making me smile because I, I I'm a fellow codependent or whatever, right? Yeah. Once you see it, you can't unsee it. Yeah, and it's and it's masterful, and it was there the whole mm -hmm. time. Uh, so yeah. it's exciting just yeah. to, to to see the light bulb go off. It's it's funny you say that, Pat. This uh, you can't once you see it, you can't unsee it. <laughs> this is the conversation my my brother and I were just having about. Uh, some of Meredith Klein's writing, you know, uh -huh, he, uh -huh. he sees some mm -hmm. things and you're like, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. And then when you see it, you can't unsee it. And it really helps, you know, set the table and framework for you to be able to understand more of, of this biblical theology and how God's plan of redemption just plays out from Genesis to Revelation. And it's certainly, it's certainly, so absolutely. Helpful. Yep. Yep, and he would have been been a big proponent of you. You have to have the covenant of works. You have to have yeah. law, and if you don't have that, you're gonna you're gonna smuggle mm. works in, into your category yeah. without a doubt. Instead instead of Christ, yeah. so and yeah, it's it's so wonderful to see. It's enlightening. It helps you. It helps equip Christians. Don't yeah. read the Bible the same way. So, so why do you ahead. think it's and why do you think it's so controversial and there's pushback? Um, yeah, in, in so, understanding the Bible, so I think it's controversial because let's start with the fact that it that it brings assurance. I mean, it really mm -hmm. does bring assurance. Mm -hmm. Not not if you're unregenerate, but if if, if you're yeah. in Christ, you can't it, it can't be it can't be reversed. So so let's maybe we start we start with Rome. It would make total sense why Rome doesn't like it hmm. because they anathematize assurance. But yeah. it doesn't make sense why Protestants reject it. <laughs> it really doesn't. And you're like, what, what are you doing? I expect the rest of you guys not to like this, but um, this is the ground, right? This is what upholds the, the tabletop, if you will. So, and then maybe we should, I'm also sympathetic because I think, I think it's a right knee jerk reaction for a Christian who's memorized a good amount of Bible verses to hear something like the covenant yeah. of works and to have red flags go off. And alarm mm -hmm. bells go off. So yeah. let's let's commend that. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 are true. It's not yeah. by works that anyone should boast. So it's wonderful. But once we help Christians understand uh, and we say, do you think Jesus just came to earth and took a nap? Well, of course not. You know, Jesus did a lot of things for a mm -hmm. lot of reasons. But 
salvation is by his works. He died on a cross. And not only that, he lived a perfect life and he fulfilled all righteousness. And I think maturing Christians can then say, oh, I was ignorant before. And I don't mean that in a condescending mm. way. I just didn't know. Yeah. So I think that helps. Um, so some people are ignorant. Some people um, have been taught that it's something that it isn't. Like it's mm -hmm. an eschatological view, but it's actually mm -hmm. not that. Um, some people don't like it because they, it, the, I have, I, I've been around a lot of Christians who uh, believe in unlimited atonement and somehow the atonement didn't atone. Uh, it just made atonement possible. And mm. I understand why they don't like the covenant of redemption because the covenant of redemption is Christ actually atoning for the elect according to the decree of God. So in one sense, that one makes the most, that objection makes the most sense to me, even though I think it's a, an objectionable objection. Um, no, so there's that. And then maybe finally, uh, dispensationalists sometimes are, are they, they, they can't buy in because Darby didn't buy in. And Darby mm -hmm. had such crazy views about the divine attribute being credited. And so there, there is that as well. So the list could go on, but. Do you think, you know, one of the things I've thought a lot about is in, in, in thinking about covenant theology and then in thinking why some people reject it, mm -hmm. it seems to be a connection with sanctification and maybe a misunderstanding of sanctification and the assurance there. Um, because it seems like there's a fear that if we give too much assurance, then people won't obey. If they don't have this fear, they're mm. not going to want to respond. And that understanding assurance isn't going to lead to more holiness. It's going to lead to licentiousness. Yeah. And so right. we got to give yeah. a motivation to obey. So we can't, we can't have all this assurance there. There has to be some test for the believer to truly test their faith and test mm. if it's genuine and, yeah. and real. Yeah, I would agree, Roger. I think that's true. But I, I just wish Protestants, when they're talking to other people who they would sound like the, I wish they would sound like they're talking to Roman Catholics. Because typically, <laughs> you know, so supposed reformed guys, they're talking to Roman Catholics, man, they get it right, right? Mm. It's not by works. No one should boast. Yeah. It's solely the imputed righteousness of Christ. But then they get in front of their congregation and somehow their goal is to rob them of assurance that, I mean, mm. they're, they're playing Romanist. Don't yeah. do that. And instead, don't, don't smuggle good works into Romans 1 to 5. Mm -hmm. They have a good place and it's in Romans six, right? Mm. <laughs> so, but, but keep them out of Romans one to five, unless it's hypo. No, I shouldn't say hypothetical. Unless we're talking about <laughs> no one is righteous. No, not one. Mm -hmm. Then we can, mm -hmm. then we can talk about good works. So, mm -hmm. and then just know that the, the Protestant reformers have a place for good works and they come out of gratitude. Mm -hmm. Result yeah. of gratitude. I love that book, the gospel mystery of sanctification. Oh, by yes. By Marshall. Walter and Marshall, he, yeah. Yeah, and he's no antinomian. I mean, yeah. he, there's one chapter in that book that I th I think is overstated. <laughs> he's he he's so committed to the law. I was like, whoa. But, mm. uh, you know, it's gratitude. And he's going after Richard Baxter because Richard Baxter messed up so many people's minds. Remember Richard Baxter who, who wanted to bridge the gap between Protestantism and Catholicism. And it shows. Uh, so... Don't, don't don't bash Baxter. Come on, ba Baxter's in my dissertation. I gotta I gotta defend him. No, I don't actually. Not on justification for sure. No, no defense here.
Okay. <laughs> well, you know what? I, I think it's good to have good sparring partners. And I think Baxter is one. <laughs> yeah. I, I just think yeah. how, how different our, our, our seminary experience would have been if Baxter wasn't the, the book that was held up of you need to read Baxter and understand how to do pastoral ministry. And we had something yep. like Walter Marshall to understand. <laughs> so true. True. true sanctification. So it, and you know, really, Roger, it makes a lot of sense. If you have to go, if if final justification is based upon your works, which is contrary mm -hmm. to Romans 8.1, but if it is, if yeah. it's Baxterian, you better go visit. In fact, you should visit a lot more than Baxter did. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I need people visiting me like 24-7 yeah. because yeah. none of us are going to get in if that's the case. But you see where theology drives methodology. And so- Yeah, absolutely. But uh, other than- so we want our we want our listeners to know that you've written this book Covenant Theology and it really is a it's like a covenant th theology primer right it's mm -hmm. it's an intro to covenant theology anyone can really pick it up and I think would really benefit from it it's not just for an academic it's not for you know just a classroom setting so we want our, our and I think you're going to put this on our show notes uh, Roger yeah I'll we'll have a link to yeah. to the to the book Covenant Theology what other books would you recommend for someone who's just kind of getting started to to really get a sense of covenant theology? Sure. So um, I appreciate you promoting my book. Um, my book is very similar to the book called Sacred Bond by mm. Zach Keel and Michael Brown, mm -hmm. um, yeah. but I would be a credo Baptist and they would be pedo Baptists. And so they're friends. I really appreciate the work that they, each of those men do, mm -hmm. but that, that makes it different. So I felt compelled to have this be in print. So there's a simplified version, mm -hmm. um, but is, is correct on baptism. Yeah. <laughs> yeah help, us, help us a little with that too. Uh, we, we are, we are, we are a, a Baptist church or, yeah, uh -huh. or reformed Baptist church. So right. we think we get it right too. Um, <laughs> but what is it? that uh let's say the that sacred bond book uh mm -hmm. will would try to push for that you you don't see the same way mm -hmm. in your understanding of covenant theology can you help us see mm -hmm. kind of the difference between the pedo baptist so for the, our listeners those who would baptize infants versus yes. those who baptize uh only those who are able to profess a faith and as believers right right and I, i'll stress the fact that um Maybe backing up a little bit, I think Michael Horton wrote a book called Intro, Intro to Covenant Theology or something like that. Mm -hmm. And I had to read that book when I had Mike as a professor who I who I love and love as a professor. But when I read it, I mm -hmm. thought it assumes too much, right? We need an intro mm -hmm. to the intro. Yeah. And then word on the street behind the scenes actually is that that Michael Brown and Zach Heel, who were Mike Horton's students, they did that very thing to say, they all right, about it too. Uh -huh. this is going to be the simplified version. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so there's that. And I, again, we're, we're really like-minded because we're, we agree on things like justification, imputation, active obedience mm -hmm. of Christ, but who, who should be baptized? I'm going to baptize based upon profession of faith. Um, mm -hmm. I like it when those guys say, remember your baptism and with tongue in cheek, I like to say, <laughs> only people <laughs> who have conscious faith can, re can remember their baptism. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> We're going to borrow yeah. the Presbyterian line and use it. Yeah. So, but uh, you know what? We'll keep debating that issue. Neither of us yeah. believe in baptismal regeneration. Mm -hmm. um, I think, so there, there is a lot of overlap, but I think it's 
the, the New Testament, I think the pattern is you do believe and then you're baptized. Um, and I don't think this takes away from their argument where, where they say it's to you and to your children, to you and to your children, to you and to your children. Hey, I totally agree, but to you and to your children, but your children must believe. Um, mm -hmm. So, um, so there's that I'm good friends with R. Scott Clark. And, uh, when we have a baptism service and he's visiting the service on that Sunday, I say, Hey, watch out, Scott, don't sit too close. You might get wet. <laughs> <laughs> So he sits in the very last, very yeah. last row, he and his sweet wife, and we're good friends. But the, the interesting thing is we, we have such a camaraderie because of the issues of covenant of works, covenant of grace, mm -hmm. covenant of redemption, and you better get these things right. And even people in their circles don't all get this right. And people mm -hmm. in our circles don't get all of this right. So I'm thankful that we can, we can share this, this, uh, and to share it passionately. Can, can I share a little bit about Baxter that might, I don't know if it'll change your opinion on Baxter or maybe the, the, cost the, the Baxter street boys. It's the, the Baxter street boys. Let me, <laughs> okay, good, good. Let me tell you about the Baxter street boys. <laughs> he, uh, he said once or wrote once that if, if not for the Anabaptists, uh, he, he would be Baptistic himself. He just oh. could not bring himself to associate with the Anabaptists. You know what? That's super interesting. I like. Yeah. I didn't know that. I find that intriguing. It was. You know, it was kind of fascinating to read that, and then I thought, oh, does that mean I should be Pado Baptist? I don't know. With Baxter's yeah. his views, I don't. You know, anyway. <laughs> well, when we talk about biblicism on another episode, we can talk about the Anabaptists. Sounds um, good. Yeah. 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 Good. I don't know. I don't huh. remember what your question was or what we were talking about, but it was oh, other other resources. Yeah. yeah. Other resources. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think I love Meredith Klein on some of these issues. Um, he's more complicated for people. Actually, mm, yeah. you know, Michael Beck just wrote that new book that just came out uh, and he's dealing with Meredith Klein. And I think he does a great job taking the, the same kind of covenant theology we're talking about. That's really clear on the distinctions um, and, and applying it to culture and issues of Christ and culture. Yeah. So I think that's, that's a good move there. And, and Beck's book seems a lot clearer than or, or easier to read than most of Meredith clients. Yeah, so I, th I think mm -hmm. that's true. I think that's true. Other yeah. things, people, you know, I, again, some, not all covenant theology is created equal. So I'm mm -hmm. adamantly opposed to what would be called monocovenantalism, where everything's gracious and everything is works. And I think you have gospel, which ruins both law and gospel. So I'm opposed to that kind. Um, mm -hmm. I want clarity about covenant of works and it is strictly mm -hmm. by merit, strictly by works and covenant of grace. And by that, I mean, and again, covenant means uh, formal relationship. You know, a marriage is a, as a covenant. I, mm -hmm. I'm not in a casual relationship with my wife. It's formal. That's why we have vows. We, we, we swear, <laughs> if you will, before witnesses, we exchange tokens that represent covenantal exchange. Mm -hmm. um, there are blessings if we keep covenant. There are consequences if we don't. So that's what we mean by covenant. I have a covenant in my neighborhood. It says I can't paint my house purple or the, or there are consequences, you know? So sometimes people don't even know the definition. Mm. So mm. Co covenant of works is where Adam is in a formal relationship with God and he was required to do things to gain justification for himself and his posterity those he represents didn't work uh, covenant of works you know following genesis 3 the only the only way any of us are in a positive formal relationship with god uh, is by grace alone 
through faith alone, ultimately on account of Christ alone. So mm-hmm. that's that's what we mean. That's what I mean in the book by those things. The word covenant's not used in Genesis, um, but all of the pieces and components are there. Um, so there's that factor. Uh, it doesn't say sin in Genesis one to three either. We all know that it's there. So yeah, that, that's really helpful, and I think that uh, connects to what we want to talk to you about in the second episode uh, with you, bringing you back to talk about biblicism and how to understand what that is, how to understand even the covenants that they're not stated like that. You don't read covenant of works. You don't read sin in Genesis 3, um, but just that whole understanding um, yeah. would be good to visit uh, next time. Uh, any final thoughts um, uh, on covenant theology to encourage our our, our listeners? Of, yes. Of, of it? Sure. I, I think what we're talking about is not, um, I think all of the data is in the scripture. But thankfully, they're, we're not the first Christians. We're not the first people with the Holy Spirit. And so it's great to read our Bibles. It's the only inspired special mm-hmm. revelation we have. But we're not the first people with the Holy Spirit. And so we don't we don't want to pretend like we are. So let's read those who've gone before us who had fights, who had fights about you know uh, legal fiction and all of these other kinds of things. And they ended up formulating doctrines, um, biblical doctrines. And they said, oh, we'll call that the covenant of works. The Bible never calls it that, but we'll call it Mm -hmm. that for shorthand as a label, sort of like Trinity. Um, Mm -hmm. Oh, we'll Mm -hmm. call it covenant of grace. So we can just use shorthand. But what we're saying is the only way anyone could ever be saved is by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Oh, okay. Shorthand. Uh, Covenant of redemption before the foundation of the world, Ephesians 1. You have the Father, you have the Son, you have the Holy Spirit. They're all there. Um, and there's a predestining plan for the the elect that Christ would redeem them. The spirit would apply the work of the son. They're all involved. Each is involved, I should say. Oh, let's call that the the pactum salutis, the covenant Mm -hmm. of redemption. So don't be, hopefully your listeners aren't aren't afraid by the the word Trinity, just because you don't find it in a word search. Mm -hmm. The concepts are there. And so let's learn from others. So we don't have to start from scratch because then we can, hopefully catch on sooner um, because all the stuff's there. That's what I try to prove in the book and argue in the book because it'll just help us to be all the more settled. Oh, maybe I should say it'll help us to be better Bible readers, mm-hmm. which goes to the Amen. point that you guys made That's earlier. Great. Let's just yeah. catch on. And when there are commands in the Bible where Jesus says, do this and live. And the question's about eternal life. Hmm. Ah, yeah. I have a category for that. Do this and live for eternal life. That's yeah. covenant of works talk. That's mm-hmm. not gospel. It's good, mm-hmm. but it's not gospel. So Amen. it really helps a ton. And I think people will be encouraged if they see that. Yeah. Amen. Great. Well, thank you for coming on. Well, we look forward to talking to you again. Awesome. And, it's uh, an honor. Join us in the next episode on Biblicism. I forgot to mention at the start of the episode, Pat has his own pa- podcast called The Pactum. Um, and I'll put some links to his book, Covenant Theology, in the show notes, put a link to um, the podcast and other ways you can connect with Pat. Uh, we hope you enjoy this episode. If you want have any questions, want to reach out to us, feedback at rodandstaff.org. And we hope that you will join us next time. If you enjoyed this episode of the Rod and Staff podcast, please subscribe and share with others. For more information or to contact the host with questions or comments, please send email correspondence to feedback at rodnstaff.org. That is feedback at rod, the letter N, staff.org.